Hello, this is Pastor Carl Gallops. Thank you so much for joining me as we walk through the Word together. Let me just ask you, what is the purpose of life? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question. What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Oh, I'm not talking about our daily routine, that is, what your purpose is for tomorrow, but I'm talking about life in general, humankind in general. Why are we here? You see, only the Bible The word of our creator gives us the answers and gives them to us in perfect sense. From Genesis to Revelation, the answer is expounded from several different angles. Uh, The Bible's message and the answer to the question of the ages, what is the meaning and purpose of life, are succinctly wrapped up, though, in two remarkable verses. They're found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and verse 10. What is the meaning of life? Here is the answer having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to God's good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote this passage to the church at Ephesus to help those early Christians discern that there is an eternal purpose to life. Paul wanted them to be certain of the grand scheme of things. He wanted them to know the answer to what is the meaning of life. Furthermore, he wanted them to understand that they were a part, a special part of God's grand design. In helping the believers at Ephesus understand this enormous truth, Paul, of course moved by the Holy Spirit of God, also wrapped up the entire biblical message from cover to cover regarding the revelation of God's ultimate purpose. You see, here's what Paul declared in those two verses. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. That's another way of saying God has made his plan and purpose for life clear to us. He has revealed it to us through his word and by his spirit. We're not in the dark on this matter. If we would read his word from first to last in context, we would know what God is doing, having made known to us the mystery of his will. But the verse continues by proclaiming, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. See, That's another way of saying that God has declared his revelation of his will and the accomplishing of his ultimate purpose for life, that they were all done at exactly the right time in exactly the right way. Thus, God is proclaiming, I have revealed the answer to the deepest question of life, and I have done it according to my original plan. Now that the plan is complete, it can be clearly seen. All right, that's what God's saying. So what is this revealed plan? He continues by saying, that he, God, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. There it is. From the beginning in the Garden of Eden, God was working out a plan. We are now a part of that plan. Adam and Eve were a part of that plan. Satan was a part of it. From eternity past, God purposed to create a kingdom of reality that is flawless and in perfect fellowship with him. This new kingdom will be under the eventual rule and the headship and the reign of his son, Jesus Christ. 
But you see, this kingdom that he is in the process of, of building, it's not going to be populated with robots or puppets on strings or, or mere humanoid animals operating by naturalistic instinct. No, God's perfect kingdom, his real paradise, it will be populated by those who know him, love him, and follow him simply because they want to. What a glorious plan. Did you notice that this new kingdom, according to the word of God, would also include beings from the realm of heaven? The verse says that everything in heaven and on earth will be united under Jesus Christ. See, the heavenly beings that did not rebel, according to the word of God, those who chose by their own free will, they are to be included with us in the new kingdom. This new kingdom will ultimately result in a new earth. The word of God is clear in this matter. Consider the following biblical declarations from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And from Revelation chapter 21, John said, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. From Isaiah chapter 65, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be be remembered, nor come into mind. That's verse 17. And Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make, they shall remain before me forever. So, I think the Bible is pretty clear that there are to come new heavens and a new earth. Now, am I suggesting then that this life, this world in which we live right now, that it's not real somehow? Well, of course not. In fact, the very opposite is true. In fact, the reality in which we now exist, though, will someday cease to exist. The coming greater reality will be a paradise of perfection, according to the Word of God. We'll no longer experience death or crying or pain. God will take that old order of things and he will make it new. The Apostle John received a foretaste of the greater reality that is to come when he got a glimpse of our future, God's ultimate plan for the ages. John expressed his glimpse of glory in the 21st chapter of Revelation. Listen to this. John said, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and they are faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. If we belong to Jesus Christ in a born-again relationship, I'm convinced that from time to time we are allowed of glimpses of glory every now and then, even though most of us will never have a vision like John had, like he just described. But we can get it through the word as God gave it to John, 
God has promised that through his Holy Spirit we'll get these glimpses of glory. The glimpses of the coming glory of God through whom the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to our soul is, is expressed in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Paul says, It is written, The eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. For God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So, according to the truth revealed in the Word of God, a monumental and supreme purpose and plan for life, your life, it really does exist. (laughs) God's plan from the beginning was to create a boot camp, if you will. You see, this present age in which we are living, it's a testing place. It's not a trick. It's not an illusion. It's not a place of magical manipulation of some kind, but it's a place of preparation for all eternity. That's what this life is. According to the Word of God, we will live longer after this life than we could ever live in this life. Now, that's a thought worth pondering for just a little bit. God is preparing for himself a people, but not just any people. He's preparing for himself what the Bible calls a peculiar people, a particular people. Peter said that we are aliens and strangers in this world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says it like this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So what is the test? What is the thing that God is looking for in his particular and peculiar people? So you see, when the atheist or the evolutionist, the unbeliever, when they want to strike out at God, he or she will often say something like, well, if there is a God, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Now, if one is not familiar with God's larger plan, the big biblical picture as we've been pointing to today, that question can waylay the Christian. You see, the atheist knows this, the unbeliever knows this, and so, of course, they use that argument quite frequently. But the truth of the matter is this, We have pain and suffering in this world because of man's fallen condition. God allows it to continue as a part of his plan. That's right. God planned for pain and suffering in the world in that he knew man would sin. Of course he knew it. He's God. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knew that Satan would rebel and tempt his new-formed creation called humanity. Actually, listen to this, God was counting on it. (laughs) Now, I know you might find that shocking, but I assure you it's a biblical truth. Remember, man was made to be unlike the animals or any other living thing. He was created in God's image. Man has a free will. He can choose and decide. He can love God or he can hate God. He can follow God or he can run from him. He can fellowship with God or he can reject God. You see, God knew that man would turn his back on him. Giving the right set of circumstances, he knew that man would do that. He also knew that Satan would provide those circumstances. In much the same way, a drill sergeant, for example, knows that a number of recruits will not make it through boot camp, and some will make it. Therefore, the sergeant applies the pressure. He applies the teaching, the instruction, the conditions of the new recruit's life. Vigorous training ensues. While in boot camp, recruits will have great days, and wonderful memories will be formed, and solid experiences to be enjoyed but there will also be some really tough times, some trying times, some painful times, some of them often unbearable, yet the training marches on. So what's the military trying to accomplish in the final analysis? Do they want all of the recruits to be happy? Do they want them to feel satisfied and loved at all times? Do they want every need met for each of the young recruits? No, they want soldiers. They want them to be prepared, equipped, trained, mature, and ready. 
the ones who survive the test of their own accord and faithfulness to the program, you see, they and only they qualify then to wear the uniform. And they and only they get to demonstrate and use their attained skills. At any time during the process, they were free to go. They were free to leave. However, they didn't. They pushed through. So now they're soldiers. So do you see the illustration? In a very same way, but with a much more eternal and glorious goal in mind, God is conducting an earthly boot camp. The test of the ages is now underway, and you're right smack dab in the middle of it. God is looking for those who will love him, serve him, and follow him, regardless, and regardless is a vital word, (laughs) of what sort of hand this life has dealt them. We're not left alone in this test. The Lord has demonstrated his love for us. He's given us his comforter and guide, his Holy Spirit. He's given us the church. He's given us each other. He's given us the privilege and the gift of prayer and his peace that passes all understanding. However, the final analysis of this life and this world is not about obtaining supreme happiness or bliss. It's about serving Jesus Christ and following him by our own free will because we can and because we want to and because we know that he and he alone has purchased and provided us salvation and the opportunity to live with him and rule and reign with him forever. Therefore, when you can reach the point in your walk with the Lord where you can say in all honesty that you don't care if he ever blesses you again or if he ever answers another prayer, you will serve him anyway. You see, then you're well on your way to graduating this boot camp. Job understand this and declared it in Job chapter 13, verse 15. He said, though God slays me, yet will I trust in him. So you see, while the unbelieving person balls up their fist at God and declares that God is somehow unfair in all of this thing called life, the believing soul bows in humility and says, God, I will serve you anyway, even if it costs my very life. You have loved me beyond measure through your son, Jesus Christ. To that person, the Lord God says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into your new paradise, where I will make all things new, and I will make all things right. You will thank me for this forever, I assure you. And the humble servant will thank God forever. This has been a word for you from the Word of God by Pastor Carl Gallops.